going to get into the word today. Um, we haven't read the passage yet. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to Psalm 51. If you have your phones with you, you can also open that up. We're going to be reading from the NIV. I've been kind of favoring the NIV a little bit. It's my favorite version of the Bible. So it is Psalm 51. Psalm 51. We're almost all there. Almost all there. Good. All right. I'm going to go ahead and read it from the very beginning all the way to verse 19, the very end. So this is a psalm for the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So already things are super intense, right? Okay. Verse (laughs) 1. Verse 1. Here we go. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves. My tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper, build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then, then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. Amen. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth, your word is life. And in all things, In all things, Lord God, we look to your word to cleanse us, to pierce our hearts, to be active, living in our lives. We pray, God, that what we hear today would not just be the sermon coming from a person, but it will be from the living word of God. So we thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you mind grabbing that pointer thing right next to my cell phone? Thank you so much. All right. Okay, now we're good to go. All right. So as I said before, this is a psalm that is actually not like your typical 
like, oh, like I want to cuddle with Jesus kind of, it's not that kind of Psalm. So sometimes we look at the Psalm and you say, create in me a clean heart. Oh, that sounds just like an intimacy verse. No, this is somebody who's stricken, who's in the midst of probably the lowest of lows in his life, who has just been confronted with the fullness of his sins. So this is not coming at a good time. This is not coming when he's doing really well. He, it's coming at the heels of the fall of King David. So this is coming in the middle of like a K-drama scenario. So let me catch you guys up, okay? It's, uh, we get the context from 2 Samuel 11, chapters 11 and 12. And this is the basic gist, okay? This is a, the, the story plot. First thing is he was hanging back while his troops were fighting for him out in the forefront. He h- hangs back in his house. And while he is, he's kind of like up on a mountaintop. He sees a girl who's naked, who's bathing. It's not her fault. It was like, he shouldn't have been there. But so instead of being like, Oh no, he was like, Oh, you know, and what did he do from there? He actually summoned her. He brought her into the palace. This is wild. Okay. This is wild. This is wild. Her husband, right? Her husband was fighting for him. So her husband was risking his life for his kingdom while he's he's checking out his wife. And then he summons her to his palace. He sleeps with her and then she becomes pregnant. That's not all. That's just episode one. Okay, episode two, what happens after that is like he realizes, oh my gosh, I got to hide my sin. Nobody can know about this. And so he calls back his husband from the forefront of the battle. He brings him back. And he says, look, spend some time with your wife. You know, you've had a long time. And so just spend some time with your wife. And then you can just go back to the battlefront. And so, but this soldier was so loyal to him. He's like, how can I sleep with my wife? How can I spend time with my wife when people are out there dying on the battlefront? No, I cannot do this. So he's like super noble, super loyal. And he refuses to sleep with his wife. And he just goes out back to the battlefront. And so David's like, Dang it. Okay. Okay. So what do we do now? And so this is what he did. He was so desperate, so desperate to hide his sin that he actually had the husband murdered. It was premeditated manslaughter. Like he planned it out so that he would get killed by the enemy. And then as a widow, then he brought her into his house and he made her, his wife. So this is like, this is where K-dramas come from. It's not from just imagine this from the Bible. The Bible is better than any K-drama. That is a lesson for today. Um, so this is in the midst of all of this happening. Um, he is like stewing inside with guilt, right? He's like racked with guilt on the inside, but he keeps it to himself for about a year. I don't know if you guys have ever lived with guilt for that long, but it like starts eating you up from the inside. And at the same time that Sheba still, that Bathsheba is the, the woman's name. Um, and then she conceived and, you know, she had a child and God in his mercy, what he did was he revealed the truth of everything that happened to a prophet named, named Nathan. So pr- the prophet Nathan, he has to kind of work up his courage. Oh my gosh, how am I going to confront the king? Like he could have me killed like in a second. How am I going to talk about adultery? How am I going to talk about murder? Uh, you know, and so he comes up with this really smart idea. He comes in to, to the courts and he says, okay, let me tell you about a story. 
the story of a rich man who had everything at his disposal. And there was a kind of poor man who had just one thing. He had a little lamb. He had one ewe little lamb. And he loved this lamb so much. And he like slept, like not slept, uh, cuddled with, uh, <laughs> keep it PG. Uh, um, so he really loved this, this lamb, right? And the rich man had guests over. And what he did was, you know what? I don't want to waste, waste any of my thousands of, of kind of livestock. I'm just going to take this poor man's one and I'm going to offer it as my own. And uh, David, when he, King David, when he heard this story, he was like, oh my goodness, that is terrible. Why would anybody do that? This man deserves death. You know, this man deserves the worst. This is the scum of the scum of the scum. And that's what he was saying. And then Nathan turns it around and says, you are that man. You are the man who took something precious that belonged to somebody who was poor and you made it your own. You are that man. You're worse than that man. Actually, you didn't take a lamb. You take a wife, right? That's, that's a bigger deal, right? And so in this way, he was... King David was confronted with his sin. It was, I'm sure it must have been really hard to hear, but at the same time, it must have been like, like an open door for forgiveness at the same time. For first time, he was confronted straight on with his guilt. He could not hide it. God had revealed it to somebody else. He could not hide it, and he had to confront his sin. And in the midst of this, this is a song that got written. So when he says, I know my transgressions, it's not like, yeah, I know I've done a few things here. No, he's like in the middle of being confronted head on with the worst of his sins, adultery and murder. So he's confronted by this. And in the midst of that, he says, I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. I was sinful even at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. What he's not saying is like, I committed adultery and murder since I was born. He's saying, I was actually always a sinner. It just took me this long to realize it. Once I was confronted with my sin, I realized this is not something that just happened in the last year. This is not a new thing in my life. I'm actually sinful from birth. It only took me this long to realize it. Sometimes in our lives, we walk through most of our lives not thinking, I'm a sinful person. We think like, I'm pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I'm better than my neighbor, better than my roommate, better than my brother. You know, like we tend to kind of, you know, put ourselves over somebody else, compare ourselves to somebody else. And as long as I'm doing better than my neighbor, then I'm pretty good, right? I'm pretty good. I'm set, right? But we often ignore the truth. We are often able to cover over the truth that we're actually sinful from birth. And it takes sometimes a fall for us to realize that there's sin within us that nothing but Jesus, nothing but his blood can actually cleanse us from. No matter how hard you try, no matter how many church services you attend to, no matter how many verses of scripture you've memorized, there's sin that nothing can take away other than Jesus Christ himself. And so he's at this point where he's confronted with a sin for first time in a long time. He realizes, wow, this is not new. This was here all along. It just took this long for me to realize it. And in the midst of this comes this pearl of a prayer smack dab in the middle of this psalm. And it's the psalm that most of us know, the verses most of us know. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Most of us know like an old school 90s song, right? Create in me, right? 
I, I kind of had that running through my head the entire time. Um, this is the pearl of a prayer that comes as a fruit of being confronted by his sins. And after, like in the midst of everything that we're going through here as a church, I've been praying like, God, how do you want us to pray? What is it that you want to have us do or have us say? Or how is it that we get back to where we need to be? And God kept highlighting these verses to me. Like, this is a prayer that I want you to make your own. This is a prayer that I want you to pray in faith with conviction and really cry out to me for a pure heart. Cry out to me for a steadfast spirit. Cry out to me for my presence, for you to continue to have my Holy Spirit. Cry out to me for the restoration of the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit, a willing spirit that will sustain us through any and every season. So I feel like this is, this is a really good prayer for us to focus on today. I'm not sure why this slides. Yes. Here you go. So this is the prayer for the season. What we're going to do today, we're actually going to go through kind of section by section, section by section. Um, and we'll kind of focus on a few things and then we'll close today's uh, message. So we're going to start with the first line, create in me a pure heart, O God. We can't just gloss over the fact that we need God in his sovereignty and in his supernatural power, not to just polish us up, not just to give us a software update, not just to kind of rough away, like, you know, sand away all the rough edges. We actually need God's creative power at work in our lives to create and forge something new in us. It's not just going to take a touch-up. It's not just going to take a, like, a little, like, uh, like, like let, let me fix you up just a little bit. We can't use a Band-Aid solution for this. It needs to be the Holy Spirit forging something in us that wasn't there before. He needs to create in us something that isn't there right now. He needs to create in us a pure heart. And what is a pure heart? So if I was to ask you, this is a really great question, question. What is the opposite of a pure heart? What is the opposite of a pure heart? You think like, okay, mm, an evil heart, like a malicious heart or, um, mm, like a, I don't know, a contaminated heart. I don't know. <laughs> like what's the, what's the opposite of pure? You would come up with all these different solutions or these different answers, but the opposite of a pure heart is not an evil heart per se. It is a divided heart. A heart that has more than one God. A heart that has a wandering eye. A heart that compromises things. A heart that is prone to wander, that pursues other gods, other idols, other lovers. A heart that is plagued with distractions where there's a competition for your affections and your loyalty. That is the opposite of a pure heart. So when we're talking about a pure heart, it's not just like, oh, like I, I try not to sin. It's not just that. A pure heart is a heart that is devoted to God, that is single-minded, that is wholehearted in the pursuit of God, that is uncontaminated, yes, but uncontaminated by other idols, 
other things that pull at your attention. That is what he's asking for. King David, in the midst of being confronted by his sin, he's asking, I need you, God. I need you to create in me a heart that is undivided, a heart that doesn't pursue other idols. This is how I got into my sin. There was a time when you were not enough for me, when you were not my ultimate satisfaction. This is how you kind of kind of find yourself slowly inching towards sin. It doesn't happen when you actually commit something. It begins in the heart, when your heart is compromised. So David knew this full well. This is someone who was a worshiper and a shepherd before he was ever a king. This is someone who used to spend hours upon hours just worshiping the Lord in a hillside somewhere out in the countryside. No one there to hear his songs other than sheep, right? He didn't have an audience. He didn't have a platform. He didn't have a mic. He didn't have power or or government or any of those things. This is someone who spent year after year just worshiping the Lord in a countryside somewhere where God's attention was enough, where this audience of one was sufficient for him, where he was wholly satisfied in that place. This is someone who from that place found himself now at the top of a kingdom and he had thousands upon thousands of people at his disposal, all the riches he could ever dream of. And in that place, he forgot that God was the one that satisfied. He began to have a divided heart. David himself, he wrote another Psalm where he talks about the pure heart. And this is in Psalm 24. He says, who can ascend the hill of the Lord who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol. He's defining a pure heart as someone who doesn't give their worship, give their affections to another idol. In Matthew 5, 6, we also see this concept of pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. They are blessed because they will see God. These are the people that are able to approach God in his presence, in his fullness, in his glory, because they're pure in heart. So what David is asking for when he's saying, create in me a pure heart, he's asking God to do a regenerative work inside him, to give him a new heart, a heart that is undivided in its affections, that doesn't have a wandering eye, that is wholehearted, that is single-minded, fully committed, uncompromising, zealous, and wholly devoted to God, free from mixture. That's what he's asking for. This is what he's crying out for when he says, create in me a pure heart. Oh, God. So he knows that the issue of sin isn't just an issue of temptation or lack of self-control. It is an issue of a divided heart where his love for the Lord has waned, where his devotion and wholehearted passion has fizzled out. Because nothing guarantees resistance to temptation and victory against sin like an ardent love and a passion for God. Sometimes when we are trying to battle against our sin, imagine, let's just picture sin as, as a pizza, right? So you have to avoid the pizza. I cannot eat this pizza. So you're looking at the pizza. You're like, I got to stop wanting the pizza. I got to stop wanting the pizza. And God's like, stop looking at the pizza. My goodness, you're going to want the pizza. You need to look to something that is going to draw your affections more than this pizza. You cannot just by sheer willpower... Like, stay away from sin. Stay away from this pizza. You have to find something that you love more. You have to find something that is going to draw your affections more. And this is what God is saying to us about 
our affections, our love, our, our ability to have victory against sin. It's not just like, look at the sin and stop thinking about sin and try not to sin. It's look at me. Fix your eyes on me. Be satisfied in me. Desire and long for me. And then sin will not be an issue. So the next line, we're asking God to renew a steadfast spirit within us. So once you've settled the issue of the state of your heart, the focus of your attention, then and only then do you have a fighting chance at remaining steadfast. Now, steadfastness, when we think about the word steadfastness, this is the definition, firmly fixed in place, so it's unmovable, not subject to change, firm in belief, determination, or adherence, a heart that is loyal. You cannot be loyal if you have a wandering eye. You cannot be steadfast and unmovable and not subject to change. You cannot be You cannot resist being tossed to and fro by the waves if you're not fixing your heart and your gaze on God. So this is what a steadfast heart is all about. A heart that is fixed on God, that doesn't have idols before God. A heart that is uncompromising and free from mixture. So we go back to the prayer. It goes on to say, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. So we can actually, when people read this verse, a lot of people say, like, wait a minute, Old Testament, they have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you know, can you lose your Holy Spirit? Can you lose your salvation? So we're going to table that theology talk for another day. What I want us to focus on as we're thinking about God's presence and God's Holy Spirit, we aren't talking about a warm, fuzzy feeling inside, like, oh, I feel the presence of you. We're not talking about that. We're talking about more of a life or death necessity, more important than food or water or shelter or family. It's God's closeness to us. God's living within us. David knows a thing or two about the presence of God. This is the same man who wrote in Psalm 85, better is one in your courts than a thousand days, uh, days elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. He's saying, I don't care if I don't have a place or a position of honor in God's house. I'd much rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than actually have a position of honor in the tents of the wicked. This is how important God's presence and God's closeness is to me. This is the same guy who also wrote Psalm 27. He says, one thing I ask of the Lord, and this is in the midst of being persecuted and being wanted for his life. He says, one thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. This is the same guy. He knows a thing or two about the presence of God. This is a game changer for him. He writes in Psalm 16, He writes in Psalm 16, you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So he's equating the presence of God to life, fullness of joy and pleasures in Psalm 114. He says, tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. He's equating the presence of God to reverence, awe, majesty and power in Psalm nine. He says, when my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your feet. He's equating the presence of God to victory over his enemies. This is coming from a military guy. A military guy who's saying, doesn't matter how many men I have, 
doesn't matter what kind of technology I have at my disposal, what kind of war strategy I have. The, the make or break in whether I win a battle or not is whether the presence of the Lord is with me. This is a matter of life and death to him. Now, outside even of the Psalms, the Bible also says is about regarding God's presence. In First Chronicles, we read, honor and majesty are found in his presence. Strength and joy are found in his sanctuary. In Acts 3, it says, repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that, uh, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. There's refreshing found in the presence of God. When Moses was getting ready to embark on a 40-year journey through the wilderness and God was calling him to do this, God said, in my presence, uh, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. His presence means rest even in the midst of uncertainty or danger, to which Moses responds, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For Moses, it was also a make or break. So the presence of God, his imminence in you and his closeness to you is everything. It's forgiveness, it's peace, it's refreshment, it's joy, it's delight, it's provision, sustenance, safety, victory, acceptance, courage, delight. It, it is all. God's presence is all. This is why it's so important for us, even in the season, for us to pray, God, we need your presence. God, we need your presence. Next, we move on to restore to me the joy of your salvation. The joy of your salvation. In Hebrew, it is restore to me the saison of your yish'acha. Yish'acha. What a ha. It means... It means, yes, it means restore to me the exaltation of your deliverance. Restore in my heart the exaltation of your deliverance. Wouldn't it be amazing if we had a church that is brimming over with people who cannot stop themselves from exalting the deliverance of God in their lives? It was kind of a little bit like, like Sojang, when she was, you know, earlier today here talking about like, I cannot help myself. Like God has done such an amazing work in me through this church. And I cannot stop myself from exalting his deliverance. It's a heart that cannot stop themselves from saying he owed me nothing and he gave me everything. He saw me at my worst and yet he had mercy on me. It's a heart that sings out. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That he's been my joy in the good times. He's been my sustenance in the hard times. He will never leave me nor forsake me. A God was called me, not a servant, but a son. This is a heart that exalts in the deliverance of God. A heart that doesn't forget where we came from. Doesn't forget what we were owed. A heart that is constantly thankful, not because the circumstances around you make you want to be thankful all the time. That's just not life, but a heart that is anchored in the fact that I deserved nothing. And he gave me, he gave me everything coming from David, someone who was a shepherd boy who had very few prospects in life. God took this little shepherd boy and he made him king over his kingdom. 
This is what he's saying. I cannot afford to forget the joy of my salvation. God has done amazing things in my life. And no kind of circumstance, even no kind of confrontation with my sins is going to strip me away from this. I need God to restore the joy of my salvation, the exaltation of his deliverance in my heart. Man, what amazing, what amazing prayer, right, for us this season. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And lastly, grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. We do not want a short-lived, let's try harder, whiting kind of band-aid solution. That's just not going to cut it. That's not going to be enough. We want God to grant us, to gift us, impart to us a willing spirit that will sustain us through every circumstance, through every season, every unexpected curveball, every delay, every situation, we need to pray, grant me a willing spirit. You need to sustain me, God. You need to give me this willing spirit. So this is our prayer for the season. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. This is what it means that God first would confront us with the idols of our hearts and give us an uncompromising, undivided heart. Second, that out of that place of fascination, of awe, of love and genuine thanksgiving, God would make us steadfast. Third, that God would forge in us that cry of desperation for his presence. Fourth, that God would restore in this year of restoration, that he would restore first the joy of our salvation. And lastly, that he would sustain us, anchor us, ground us, feed us, and nourish us with a willing spirit, a heart that says, yes, God, no matter what kind of situation we're going through, no matter how high the stakes are, we would become people who are willing to follow him wherever he leads. This is the prayer for the season. This is a prayer for us personally. This is a prayer for us corporately as well. Can we read this all together? Nice and slow. Here we go. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Amen. So this psalm, this is not the end of the psalm. If you guys remember, this is right in the middle of the psalm. The psalm actually ends with singing, with testifying, and with declaring his praise. It moves on to say, then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will turn back to you. He doesn't say this in an arrogant way. Like then, like I'm going to show them what's up. No, it's saying like, if I am brimming over with thanksgiving and praise and awe and fascination from that place and from that place only, can I tell anybody about, about their ways, about God's ways and sinners will turn back to God. They will turn back to God when they hear this coming from a person who is, Filled with joy at their salvation, who is steadfast, 
who is uncompromised in his heart. And he says, save me from blood guilt, O God, from the God, the God who saves me. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Nothing will keep me from worshiping this God. He says, O Lord, open my eyes and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. This is coming from someone who at one word, he could have had thousands of bulls, thousands of lamb, of sheep. He could have thousands of them sacrificed and slaughtered at the altar. And this is his confession. What you're looking for right now isn't these grand religious gestures. What you're actually after right now is my heart. A heart that is broken, that doesn't have everything together. A heart that is wholly dependent on you, that knows that there's no answers outside from God. A heart that is crying out in desperation. That's what God is after. That is a sacrifice that is worth to God more than a thousand bulls. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices. Then whole burnt offerings to delight you, then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is after the important things are settled. After the first things have been made first. After our hearts are positioned in a place for us to give him the sacrifice that he's actually after. From that place, then you can offer all you want. You can kill as many bulls as you want. But first, you need to give him that broken and contrite heart God in his pleasure will make Zion prosper. And from there, in that place, in that place of thanksgiving and knowing that you did nothing, you did nothing. God did all the saving work. From that place, there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight God. And bowls will be offered on his altar. So my, my prayer for us as Nephili in this season isn't... Let's work at all the logistics. Let's work at, you know, programs and events and let's, let, let's make things. More importantly than that, I just feel God so strongly urging us, let's get our heart right first. Let's get this right first. We can talk about programs later. We can talk about service times later. We can talk about attendance and tithing and all these later. First thing right now, first order of importance is I need your heart. I need your heart to be right. You can... Don't, don't do all these things that I'm not asking for right now. The one thing I'm after right now is a broken and contrite heart. So as a family, as a community, I would like this to be our prayer. Create in me a pure heart. Do in us, God, what only you can do. Our hands cannot do it. Our good intentions, our willpower is not going to cut it. It needs to be God giving us a new heart. God birthing in us a cry of desperation for his presence. God granting us sustenance, resilience, resistance through any and every season that we walk through. This is not the last time we're going to go through a rough patch, guys. It's not. We're going to have so many more. Yay, right? (laughs) It's been, you know, quite the year. Very interesting year. But this is not, this is not the last time we're going to go through a rough patch. We need to be asking for God, for sustenance. You need to grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So I'd like all of us to make this our prayer this season. 
that we would be a people who are crying out for the same thing, unified in this desperation for God. Let's take a moment to pray.